It's Thursday at 10 a.m. and you're listening to the Eagles Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM, talking all things sports with a special focus on our Auburn Tigers here on the Plains. If you want to be a part of today's action, feel free to tweet at us at Daniel J. Locke or The Griggs Beat. Let's get into the action. Good morning and welcome into the Eagles Nest here on Weagle 91.1 FM. I am Daniel Locke. Alongside me as always, Griggs Blankenberg. We have a loaded show for you today, but first, Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm a little sore right now, as you can see me stretching before we started the show yeah, on the floor. Griggs had this whole uh, calisthenics ec- exercise going on in the studio this morning, sort of like our uh, geography study session with our good friend Will on Sunday night. Every 30 minutes, we could see how many push-ups we could do just to give your brain a little break, and maybe there's something to that, because that is the best i felt about a test in a long time. I felt better about the first one, but enough about that, really. Yeah, yeah, who cares? So, where do you want to start off with the show today, Mr. Locke? Well, um, as you can see, Griggs just gave us away to the listeners. We we're very unprepared. Just kidding. Let's start with volleyball. Let's, so, last night, the Auburn Tigers took on the Florida Gators. Unfortunately, they got swept in three sets, but no need to fear. It happens. It happens. Mm-hmm. And I still have some high hopes for this Auburn women's volleyball team. I'm just going to kind of run through some things real quick. The team is 18-3, and 7-3 and three in the SEC, 6-1 and one at home in Neville Arena, 6-2 and two at away sites, and 6-0 and oh at neutral sites. So far, the team's most impressive thing they've done so far, I know Alabama's not good, but sweeping Alabama in both games, or not both games, like winning three sets to one against Alabama back-to-back days, pretty impressive, and... Georgia's not horrible, as Georgia was able to take down Florida. Mm-hmm. So beating Georgia both times is pretty good. And Tennessee's not a bad team either. So winning that set. But the road gets harder from here, as on Saturday and Sunday, uh, 4 o'clock on Saturday, 1 o'clock on Sunday, the Auburn Tigers travel up to Lexington, Kentucky, to take on a, I think, top five Kentucky Wildcats team. So... I was telling Griggs this before we came on the air this morning. If they can just take one set this weekend, I'll be happy. Just obviously that's the absolute bare minimum. Maybe actually I'm going to rephrase that. Try to win a set each day. Try to Hmm. take two sets this weekend. Just be as competitive as you possibly can be. And then once you get through those two Kentucky games, it's pretty smooth sailing from there. Back home in Neville Arena next weekend, two games against Texas A&M. Then they have Ole Miss on the road on Veterans Day. Then a game a midweek on the road against South Carolina on Wednesday the 23rd. Then they close out the regular season at home on Friday the 25th and Saturday the 26th against Arkansas. That is Iron Bowl weekend, so Weagle will not be broadcasting the game on Saturday. However, we will have coverage of the game on Black Friday. So be sure, if you feel so inclined, to tune into that. Going back to last night, you saw I said this a couple minutes ago. Just the story of Auburn was just the hitting percentage; it just wasn't there for them. They sh- uh, they had a percentage of point one one two. They had a negative hitting percentage in the second set, along with nineteen errors. You can't play a good Florida team like that and have nineteen errors and expect to win that game. No, and that's another thing. Um, I was sitting next to our friend Joey Griggs. We mm-hmm. were talking about this. It's just Auburn just couldn't seem to get out their own way, like something would happen. I'm not going to call anyone on the team out because they're way better volleyball players than I am, but they would just, you know, have a ball incoming, and it would just hit off their hands and go out of bounds. 
just mental errors, and you could tell early in the second set that they just already kind of felt defeated, which I'm, was disappointing because they were very competitive in the first set. I mean, yeah, you could just tell the experience of Florida showed near the end of that, like, middle part of that match. Granted, Auburn took them in the first set 25 uh, – Auburn lost the first set 25-23, and it just casually declined ever since there. So that shows the toughness that Florida program has. The coach, I remember, can't remember her name, it's when, like – been there 30-something years, have had 27 SEC titles, so you can't expect to be able to go against that floor team and just not be able to just be conditioned well enough to just – and the mental errors get in the way of that. So, again, this Auburn team is very young. I expect high things in the future. Just, I mean, they're already exceeding expectations of what people thought they were going to achieve this year. So you have to look at the bright side of things. Yeah, they have. And just another reminder, and I know this has been said time and time again, it just still remains very important – this Auburn team is one of the youngest teams in Division One volleyball. So they're only going to get better. I'm really excited for what's down the road, not only for this specific team, but for this program in the next five to ten years. Yeah, I mean, it's looking really bright right now. Just the stretch they had were the longest unbeaten streak in program history to start the season in non-conference play, not losing a game in non-conference. Then a little once you got into the SEC, it started to ramp up a little bit. I know you beat... Alabama, you beat um, Missouri, I believe. You ble- yeah. beat Missouri once and then lost the other one. You beat Georgia once. It's just a matter of just that consistency still being there. Because look at Florida. I mean, Florida's 16-4 and in the year right now. So you can afford some lo- losses. You, no one expects you to go undefeated. But at the same time, it's just you got to learn from this stuff. I mean, they're going to grow. They're going to get better for next season. And the hopes just keep building year after year. Yeah. And just looking at some of the team leaders for this Auburn squad, Akasha Anderson leads the team in kills with 311, and Jackie Barrett leads them in assists with 689, and Fallon Lanham leads the team in service aces with 30. Not bad. Yeah, not especially for, the, again, the young team that Auburn is. Just anything you can take away from this season on a positive note is just going to be so much better for you when you transition into that period next year where potentially you will be near the top of that SEC. Yeah, and they're already doing a lot of things right. Like, they're out-killing opponents, um, 1,061 to 982. They have over 100 fewer errors than opponents. And the only real big um, category that they're trailing opponents in is attempts. And honestly, I'm not really sure how important that actually is. Yeah, I'm still not. 100% 100% up to the volleyball terminology. Yeah, but I'm still learning. Still learning. We got some time. And they have about 20 more. Wait, what is this? Wait, why are errors on your twice? I don't know. <laughs> We're learning. Griggs and I are still novices here, and we will get these volleyball terminology uh, things down pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will. We ex- Again, this is going to be a program that's going to be really interesting to watch in Auburn in the coming years. So we're excited about that. Yes, so why don't we move into a sport that you and I are both a little more familiar with. Let's talk about soccer, specifically Auburn soccer. It was a very big matchup tonight. You can see Alabama Crimson Tide. I will be in studio. We will have Aiden Kowalski and Noah Phillips on the call. As always, if you feel so inclined, please tune in. I was going to set you up for that promo right there. Oh, well. I was going to give you the alley-oop, the Jordan (laughs) D-Wade meme. We're like, hey, Daniel, where could – people want to listen to this game tonight if they feel so inclined to. Yeah, and that would have worked out, but we had another way to get to the basket, and that was Mm -hmm. Jason Tatum straight up the middle. I'm Jason Tatum. 
Yeah, you remind me a lot, Jason Tatum. Yeah, I get that a lot from people. I just walked down the concourse, and there was like, there goes Jason Tatum. I know like, Jason yes. Tatum went back to college. Yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> anyway, so, huge matchup tonight. Mm-hmm. Alabama's very, very good. Definitely a top five team. I forget where exactly they fall in there. I think they are now three. Okay, good. I was hoping they weren't one. Uh, it says one on Auburn. Um, Auburn's website, but I was looking at the SEC schedule on the SEC like the website. It said they were number three, so I don't know how accurate that is. I can check that if you want to talk about the game tonight. Okay, so it starts at 7.30 p.m. at the Auburn Soccer Complex. It is senior night, and real quick, while Riggs is looking that up, we are going to talk about some of the players to watch for Alabama. I will be pulling that up now. Real quick while I'm stalling, beautiful weather today. Beautiful weather. Um, Alabama is three, according to the NCAA, and then the United Soccer Coaches Poll. So not number one anymore. Number one is the UCLA Bruins, followed by the number two ranked University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Sounds good. So Riley Parker Mattingly, or Riley Mattingly Parker, not sure. This is formatted weird. It's one of those. I apologize, Riley. Mm -hmm. She leads the team in goals with 12 uh, Felicia Knox leads the team in assists with 15, and uh, Parker Mattingly or Mattingly Parker leads the team in points with 29. You know, my best friend Will's the Crimson White beat writer for Alabama women's soccer. So, hmm. Will, if you're listening, please uh, text me what the correct name is. Um, Ashlyn Serpaka is also very good, 13 points on the year, and Gianna Paul, 17 points on the year. So, this team can shoot. That is what I'm noticing. And how many shots on goal do they have? A lot. They have 150 shots on goal. Mm-hmm. Um, wait. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay. This that's Al- right. this, yeah, this Alabama team is very, God, very these good. these stats are so weird. All right. You don't really need stats. Just, when you look at this Alabama yeah. team, you just know, like, they were not that highly ranked coming into the season. They've, just, they've definitely been the sh- – in those women's soccer world, they've definitely been the shock of the season yeah. throughout the SEC and the nation. I mean, the two teams you have at the top above them right now are the teams you expect to be there every year. I mean, North Carolina, most women's national soccer championships, that type of stuff. But, yeah, you just never really, like, Alabama's just gone off. They can score, they can. which is the one thing Auburn can't. Auburn has had 17 games. Daniel, can you tell me how many games, without looking at Auburn's schedule, they've scored more than one goal? They've played 17 games. Okay. 17 games, more than one goal. I'm going to guess two. A little bit off three. They've only scored goal three. Right. They've Let's only see if scored... I can name them. All right. I know you can definitely name one of them. Southern Miss. Yep. You and I were on the call. UMass Lowell. Mm-hmm. You and I were also on the call. Yes. And... One more. Yeah. Hmm. Was it an SEC game? It was an SEC game. Was it Kentucky? That's correct, yes. Okay. So, Auburn has yet to score more than one goal in a loss. And then they've only scored three goals. They've only scored more than one goal three times this year. That has been the, the kryptonite of this Auburn team. I mean, your leading goal scorer only has four goals. Yeah. That's the story of this team. It's just they've been unable to just find the back of the net, and that's been their hindrance all year. I mean, this is a very experienced team. They just can't find a way to get it in the attacking third and control that possession and take good shots on goal. Yeah, and this Alabama team hasn't lost a game since August 21st to the Miami Hurricane on the road. They lost 1-0. So, this team is so good, and they're going to be very hard to beat, and Auburn is going to have to play the best game they are all year, and I can just go ahead and tell you, Griggs, one goal is not going to cut it tonight. No, it is not, and this Alabama team has already won the SEC regular season. 
and then you also um for Auburn just the one thing if you can look at it from a good perspective if you're an Auburn fan is they are five two and two at home much better than their away record they really have struggled once they reach conference play yeah two five and two two wins five losses two ties so they they need this one pretty badly at least to get a tie and then perform well in the SEC tournament which begins next week this is Auburn's last. Uh, regular season uh, soccer match. They play the SC tournament next week in Pensacola starting so Sunday. Sure. I what? don't think they're in right now. Oh, does the SEC do that? Yeah. Or like not every? Oh, yeah. Oh, well then they definitely need this one like yeah. to win probably tonight. Just I'm not sure what the probability is. I'm sure they don't control their own destiny though. Yeah, just the thing is, for a team that came in with so much expectation of the year, it's pretty disappointing if you're especially those players right now. But I mean, you just got to go into Alabama tonight playing like you got nothing to lose. You got everything to prove, really. So, yeah. But again, the home stats gonna be helping them, and they just if you get the balls on net, then things can happen. So that is all the time we have for Auburn soccer and volleyball. When we come back, we will have a World Series preview. You are listening to the Eagles Nest here on Weagle ninety-one point one FM. Do not go anywhere, please. And welcome back into the Eagles Nest, everybody. Once again, you're hanging out with. Daniel Locke and Griggs Blankenberg here talking Auburn sports and everything in the world of sports. And now we're transitioning to the everything in the world of sports. Now we are discussing the Major League Baseball World Series, which begins tomorrow night at 7.03 p.m. Central on Fox. It'll be against the third wildcard seed, Philadelphia Phillies, versus the overall number one seed in all of baseball, which was the Houston Astros. That game is going to be in Houston at Minute Maid Park. So... We expected maybe one of these teams to be in there, not yeah. the other one at all. So, like I said, when we kind of first started talking about postseason baseball a while ago, it feels like, about a month, um, I said, if I could just escape this season without having to see the Dodgers or the Yankees win the World Series, I would be satisfied. Well, I got my wish. As the Yankees continue to get owned by the Houston Astros, I watched this um, 12-minute video for the show this morning talking about really a lot of people think the this kind of Astros Yankees rivalry starts in 2017 when um, all the, like the cheating stuff went down it really doesn't it starts in 2015 it's when it really got rolling because they played a wild card game and at that point the Yankees hadn't made the playoffs in two years they were a wild card team now you're lost so yeah it was just kind of it was interesting talking about just how much the Yankees have struggled in the postseason. And to our friend Connor, I know you're listening. I'm sorry, but it's hilarious. And, you know, it's so funny because the Yankees are my least favorite team. Like, I dislike the Yankees more than I dislike Alabama. Mm-hmm. So to see them just falter like this and not be able to control us is just entertaining to me. I think also when you're going into the terms of the Astros cheating, I mean, I feel like, tell me if I'm wrong here, I feel like people will forget some about 2017 if they go on to win this one. Yeah. Because then they win it legit. I mean, think about it, though. They've made the last six ALCSs. They've been in the World Series four times in the past. Since um, the 2017 season, they've been in the World Series four times. Mm -hmm. They've yet to win one of those after that. So I think really they'll be vindicated-esque if they win this one. Yeah. Just because they've won it legitly. They've done all this stuff. But then the Phillies have been – Really, the surprise of baseball. I mean, that NL East was just very interesting. I mean, who would have thunk the third best team in the NL East 
at the end of the season was going to be the one in the World Series. Not me. And if you want to take a step further back from that, think in like 2014 that we would be living in a world where three just yes, like the NL East was very good this year, but over the last four World Series, an NL East teams represented the National League three times. That's nuts. Because that was the worst division in baseball, it felt like, for a while. And just how far they've come really so quickly. Because obviously just single teams turn themselves around all the time. But a whole division, like, it's really incredible. And think about it also that the core of this Astros team has been to sixth ALCSs. Think about it. They moved to the American League in 2013. People yeah. forget about that. They moved from the NL Central to the American League West. And that's incredible. Six ALCSs in nine years after moving divisions. That's unheard of. It is. It's incredible. And I doubt anything really has been done like that. And what makes it even crazier is just thinking about how bad they were when they moved over. Oh, I yeah. I think their first year nail, they, I think that's the year they lost 111 games. I think that's about right. So they were terrible. Like one of the, the worst team in baseball. Like I remember being happy when I saw that the Red Sox or Braves had a series with Houston coming up. Because it likely meant two or three pretty easy wins. But, yeah, they're just not that good. And, you know, times have definitely changed because they are very good. And I'm, they've proven that. Yeah, I mean, this this whole core in that Astros front office, the ability to be able to, like, um, bring all those players up at the same time. Since all their main core, at least from the past couple of years, I know they lost Springer and Correa in them. But that and, and Garrett Cole, but like those players that they've been able to bring up at the same time, like Bregman, Altuve, some of their arms, it's just been really good to see. I mean, their uh, rookie, um, I think second or shortstop, won the ALCS MVP. Yeah. So they're still going to be there next year. And then their pitching has just been solid from start to finish, really. I mean, and then you have that big bat and Jordan Alvarez coming into its own. It's just, this is a scary team. But then that bat of Jordan Alvarez going into more of this World Series talk now is just kind of cooled down a little bit in that ALCS. It really came out against the Mariners in the ALDS, and but now it's, like, cooled down. But now it's, like, really I've been thinking it's Bregman. Bregman's been the one that's come up from the, in the clutch multiple times. And mm. same thing on the other side where we thought Schwarber might be that big bat that uh, the Nationals uh, – not the Nationals. That was a couple years ago. The Phillies relied on. It's now becoming Bryce Harper like it was. Yeah. But even though uh, Schwarber's doing well, but Bryce Harper's been that guy. So it's been those two – like cornerstones of those two franchises this season have been the people stepping up, and that's really good for baseball. I agree. I agree. And it's just nice to see a new face, even though the Braves are my NL team, seeing another NL East team play in the World Series. It's never my favorite thing in the world, but it's nice to see a a new team, like I said. And um, Kyle Schwarber leading this team, and – He's a guy. I liked him a lot at Indiana. I'm I, sure you liked I, him a decent amount on the Cubs. I did, yes. It was the anniversary, I think, two uh, two days ago was the anniversary when Kyle Schwarber, the, people forget, the year we the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, Kyle Schwarber goes out, I think, in either spring training or very early in the season on with an ACL injury. There's a tweet that comes out right after the Cubs are about to travel to Cleveland for game one that Kyle Schwarber is going to be on a private jet going to Cleveland just to be a DH. And that was insane because no one thought he came off an ACL injury in like March or April and he was back playing in November. Yeah, he's awesome. I love that guy. He was great for the Red Sox. He was a big part of our run last year. So 
He's been um, on so many teams since 2016. It's been kind of crazy. Yeah. Because he's. I mentioned the Nationals, the Red Sox, you said. Now the uh, Phillies. He's been everywhere since the Cubs. Yeah. So, obviously, Philly has a reputation for being quite the rowdy sports town. They're probably in the top five, I would say. I'd probably say top two, not two. Really? In my opinion. No. What, what do you think is better? We've had this discussion multiple times, but I think Philly is the number one like craziest like sports town. What do you think? I mean, yeah, but rings on rings on rings. I'm not talking about rings. I'm talking about like you said in terms of craziness. Yeah. I mean, they okay, yeah. I so mean, I, I would not agree they're yeah. a top five. I agree they're a top five sports town. Now, top crazy, like you said, craziest fan bases, they're number one without okay. a question. Fair. I okay. I forgot about the Eagles for a second. I was about to say like, when's the last Philly championship? It was probably the Phillies in '08, but I forgot about the Eagles. So it hasn't <laughs> been quite as long as I thought. But you know, I'm sure their fans will bring it. Yeah, it's a they good, always do. It's a good time for the city. They got the Monday night uh, Halloween home game for the uh, game three of the World Series. So that would be crazy. And then the uh, I think in Houston on Saturday they play the um, the game two of the World Series, and then Sunday the Eagles are in uh, Houston, so be prepared for that one. Wow. That's crazy. Wild. It's weird how things like that work. There's going to be a lot of green in those stands on Sunday. Yeah, I, I agree. So, you know, who are you looking for from the Phillies to really, other than Kyle Schwarber, to really stand out here? Well, along with Bryce Harper, that I'm literally looking at their pitching staff. Aaron Nola had a little bit of a shakeup in the NLCS. That was the one game I believe they lost in the LCS was an Aaron Nola pitch. He's right now their projected game one starter in Houston versus all of Houston's pitching matches have been undecided as of now. But I think Aaron Nola needs to really step up. This has got to be this is one of your top moments in franchise history. You have to be able to show out and be that number one starter that you be for that ball club. And for the I mean their starting pitch has been good but then can that like middle ground really keep up with it? Yeah. Like a huge thing is bullpen. I'm looking at the bullpens here. Since mm-hmm. Houston's bullpen's pretty solid. So I'm looking to see if Philly can really compete with that. Like you said, Aaron Nola is on the mound for game one. Zach Wheeler is on the mound for game three. Uh, no, two, I meant to say. Two. And, yeah, only one and two have been announced. So Nola and Wheeler... And going into it, the rookie Alec Bohms, who he's he's had a great year um, playing third base. So I'm looking for him. But you know what's kind of surprising to me about this, Griggs? What is that? You know whose name we haven't mentioned yet? Bryce Harper. I literally just mentioned him like two minutes ago. Oh, think he's been the bat. Him and Bregman. Oh, I apologize. But I get that. Go on. Anyway, I oof, that that's a bad mess up. All good. Anyways, so. When he came to Philly in 2018, the expectations were obviously very high. Like at the time, like that was the year that the biggest contract and baseball record got set and broken three different times. But obviously, he's got a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And for the past couple of years, people were like, "Okay, like we're about to be five years into this thing. Something's got to happen pretty soon." So they finally appear to have something going, and I'm really just interested to see how they do. I mean, Bryce had that injury this year. People forget that with his hand. But then you look back to me last year. I mean, granted, the team didn't perform well, but he won the MVP in the NL. So he's always been there. He's always been Bryce. He's been doing well. But, yeah, I mean, this is the first time that Philly seems just had sustained success with um, with this new lineup changes they brought in. So, 
You know what I just saw that we have to talk about? What did you just see? 18 years ago today, October 27th, 2004, the Red Sox break the curse. Was that when they won it all? Yeah. They won it all. Dang, that ended early then. Yeah, times were different. Yeah, now that all the World Series games goes until like November. Yeah. In this, I thought you were going to bring up the fact that the Yankees used uh, the highlights in the lowest point of their franchise's history when they blew the 3-0 lead to the Red Sox and then FaceTime Big Poppy as like that. I thought you were going to say that about that because that was no, – this was is not World Series talk, but that was unbelievable. Like why would you literally try to motivate your team by showing them the lowest point in the franchise history they're playing for? Makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, that's about equivalent to Brian Harson dialing up highlights from 2012 right now. But I just, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. Aaron Boone just really lost a lot of credibility because I feel like at the beginning of the year, a lot of people would have considered him a top five manager. And now I don't think he's top ten. I think the thing also is that front office. I mean, Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone have go, go like hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees fans, like, I think this thing is like they wanted like more relief pitching at the end, I guess. Yeah, I think that's the thing they were looking for most, and then consistent hitters. I mean, our boy, our Auburn guy, Josh Donaldson, hasn't been doing the greatest for them right now. They got a little bit of hate from that, but I mean, yeah, the Yankees just—I mean, they're just like stuck. Really, they're like what we said about Auburn, like football a little bit. They're in purgatory right now. They always can get there, but just never can get over the hump to get to the World Series. I mean, they've not been in now since two thousand nine, so that's thirteen years. Yep. So that's wild. That's they've a, been pretty good. That is, pretty they, good they've had a lot of. They've had some good teams too. They just couldn't just find a way. And the Astros just have their number now. Oh yeah. It's like what we say, like the NFC West, like Kyle Shanahan, like all of them. They just switch around who they beat. Like mm-hmm. no matter who's the best, they always have that one opponent. They're like lose to. Yeah. But there's another in a, or AL East team that you know hasn't really had much trouble winning World Series rings uh, lately. The Toronto Blue Jays back in the '90s. Good point, Daniel. No. I'm kidding. I know. Yeah. So we're going to step away to another quick PSA break. When we come back, the future of Auburn football. It's been a week, and Griggs and I are going to break it all down for you. This is the coverage you come for, and you don't want to miss this. This is the Eagles Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back into the Eagles Nest here on Weagle 91.1 FM. I am Daniel Locke. Alongside me today, and as always, the one and only Griggs Blankenberg, so far today, we've talked about Auburn volleyball and soccer. We kind of previewed the World Series predict, or we previewed the World Series. Forgot to give our predictions, but now you have an incentive to stay till the end of the show, and we'll give them in who you got. Mm-hmm. So now, this isn't something that I would consider fun or easy to talk about. It more just goes along the line of this is Griggs and I's just kind of obligation as members of Auburn student media to talk about the future of Auburn football. Because I'm not going to lie to you, Griggs, and I imagine, I'm not going to quote you, because I don't know, but I imagine you um, will probably agree with this. Things just aren't looking good at the moment. It's not looking good, bruv. It's, it's not, not looking good. More, We've had more transfers in the past seven days, or probably less than that. We've had more transfers since, I think, Monday than we have wins this season. I think, yeah, Nathan King, who we had on the yes. show last week, tweeted that out. Shout but out, Nathan. Friend of the show. Friend of the program. But, yeah, I mean, I was in, uh, like, church during that that um, news about Lane and King broke. I come back out, and, like, I checked Twitter for the first time. It was, like, that verbal meme of that guy walking in with pizza and, like, everything's on fire. You go to ACC? I do, yeah. I love ACC. Love it. But then, yeah, I just... It's in disarray right now. It's it just is. there's no identity on that team. They're yeah. like 
I honestly just am worried. Like, if you let this continue for too much longer, I get it. They don't want to make any substantial moves until they hire, until they hire an AD. That's like the whole. If that's the thing they keep saying is holding them back, so. I mean, how much longer can you go? Because, let's be honest here. If this Arkansas game doesn't go the way we want, we're three and five, and we have right. a very uphill battle to be able to get bowl, get a bowl game. You're right. I've I've kissed a bowl goodbye. Um, so and then we haven't even talked about the allegations that that's all I'm gonna say. Allegations that Brian Harson has told his players that unless it's for a medical reason. If you want to redshirt, transfer, or quit. I mean, at the same time, you have to think about it this way. I mean, at this point, Landon King, and when Landon King transferred, he only had one catch. And it was the whole year. It was against Penn State. I don't know what his mind was thinking when, like, he would think, "Oh, all of a sudden, I'm just going to magically be played a bunch more, where I lose my redshirt after when I get put in three more games." Yeah, I don't really know exactly what was going on there. But I do know that half of Auburn's recruiting class for the 2022 year is gone. Half of Harson's class, the, the only one that's truly his in his Auburn tenure to this point, is gone. Bye. See you gone. later. See ya. And it's just really hard to believe. And then if you um, go a step further, the 2020 class, I believe, or 2021, one of those, ranked number eight in the country. Half of those players are gone now from just transferring. So it's just the program's not on great days right now. And like you said, no moves are going to be made until they figure out what they're going to do about athletic director. I think you and I have the same look on that. We're not going to talk about that on the air, though. Yeah. But I don't know, man. It's just it's really hard to put a happy face on Auburn football right now. We like to have a lot of fun on the Eagles' nest. We like to laugh. We like to just have a good time with each other. Griggs and I are very passionate about making content that you, the people, our listeners, enjoy. And we're always going to do that. But this is just kind of a little doom and gloom talk. And it's not fun. It's not easy. And it's kind of sad. But, oh, and I wish it didn't have to happen. I left that out of my monologue. (laughs) But, you know, it just does because Griggs and I care. And we care about the Auburn family, and we care about Auburn football, and we care about Auburn student media. So we're going to tell you the truth. We're not going to sugarcoat things here on the Eagles' Nest. But it just has to happen today. It does. I mean, for a team that haven't been – it's the same. It's different things each game, too. Like, at the start of the year, it was Auburn's pass defense was horrendous. Like, yeah. we're talking those first uh, two games, non-conference, it was terrible. And then when Penn State happened – you get obliterated at home. You lose by 29 points to a team that is looking – again, they're number 13 in the nation right now, but the only really good team they've played they got blown out by. Yeah. So And they're probably going to get blown out Saturday. Yeah. And then now it's a switch to a run problem. Yep. I mean, you let LSU have 3.2 yards a game uh, per carry, and you still lost. I'm. That doesn't make – your your defense is doing so much on like the pass side now where they've completely flipped it where that defense aligns where we thought everything was going to be centered around this Auburn defense this year it's just been un- non-existent it's they've not been able to account for anything with that no and it's it's sad like this isn't good and 
you're going to go into Oxford, and I know we talked about this last week, but it's still relevant, and you're going to have one of the worst um, rush defense days in Auburn football history. And that hasn't been a problem. Like, they've done pretty good at stopping the run. So that was a new thing. And, I don't know, three different guys running for over 100 yards? That's insane. It just can't continue. Yeah, and then Arkansas runs a similar offense. So what if they? What if that happens to this Auburn team two games in a row? We keep getting told that things are going to improve. Things are going to get better. We're right around the corner. Are we talking about like the Great Wall of China corner? Because we're we're a long way from that <laughs> then. Because there has been absolutely no improvement on that. Like, yeah, our turnover margin is one of the worst in the nation. Our quarterbacks can't hold on to the football. We came in this year having a quarterback controversy. Now we have an everything controversy. You know what it kind of reminds me of? What? When you text somebody like, yeah, I'm on the way, but you know you're still a good 10, 15 minutes away from leaving. And I do that all the time. But th- uh, yeah, I know but, then, <laughs> but then sometimes eventually that will catch up to you and you have to be able to be respond to that. Yeah. Our, the leadership there has not yet done that. They have not yet said you have all this talent on certain sides of the ball You've been non-existent on the run defense now. The O-line is one of the worst O-lines I've ever seen watching college football. It's, it's bad. I get that you've had some key injuries on the defensive line with Leota going out early. That's a, That was a huge – I think that definitely equates to some of the run problems now. I would agree. But at the same time, you're an SEC football program who's won a national championship in the past 20 years. You have to be able to account for these kind of things coming up because this sustained – mediocrity is just not going to last a lot. I mean, people have a thing saying Auburn's quick to just cut things off. I mean, but when it's bad enough, you don't want it to keep growing because, like, let me uh, let me get a good analogy. Um, If there's, like, something like one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Right. That starts off at the bottom. If you don't remove that apple soon, it's going to spread to all the other apples. And then by the end of it, it's a whole thing of bad apples. So when are we going to remove that bad apple? When are we going to be able to stop – Think so. Hopefully, we have some stuff, good stuff left to take into the next season, really. Yeah. And the next coach, we're going to have to be very patient, no matter who it is. Oh, they can't miss on this next one. No. Like, after they had the li- largest buyout in uh, football history, in college football history with Malzon, Harson's going to be definitely probably top if that happens. It's going to be top 10, maybe. Yeah. I think. And then this, you cannot miss on this next. This next hire is going to have, if they hire someone else, they're going to have to be someone who's had sustained success in a Power Five conference. Someone you know can recruit, has a personality that can do it. Or like someone that just has like proved it and they deserve, I don't know. Like you just need someone who's proven that they can win in a big conference, whether it be the SEC, the Big Ten, maybe even Big 12 or ACC. Yeah, don't go Mountain West again, please. Sorry. I can't name one coach in there right now. I, I can't want. either. I can't even name a coach in the Mountain West. So, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Did you know who Brian Harson was before we hired him? I didn't. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I did. I mean, but granted, again, I came in here uh, 2021, so after they just hired him and stuff. So, I didn't really know before Boise State, but the identity of Boise is like at least since when we were young was always that that was the group of five team like yeah. that was the group of five team like that was the team that you didn't schedule they're like App State now like if you're a Power Five team don't bring them in I mean well App State's hit or miss sometimes True. but 
nonetheless, just change just needs to come. I it, agree. It better now than later. I get why they don't want to make the move now with no AD. I get that. But Georgia Tech hired theirs in 15 days. Like, why are we still dragging our feet over that? Yeah. They need to get that done because if we don't, with the uncertainty around this Auburn football program right now, uh, I think you said this, early early signing day is going to be bad. Oh, it's going to be horrendous. It's going to be like on national signing day how we didn't get a single person bad. It's going to be, especially when you don't know, the people that you're recruiting, they don't know the future of this program. That's why it's so important now with the transfer yeah. portal and all this stuff. They know what's going, who they're going, whose program and stuff they're going into before they sign that piece of paper. Yeah. But then, hey, Daniel, guess what? What's that? We are less. We are six days away from Auburn scrimmage, basketball scrimmage. I cannot wait. It's going to be amazing. I think this is the most anticipated basketball season in Auburn history, probably. Yeah. Come save us, Coach Pearl. We need you. <laughs> we need you. But that is going to do it for this segment of Auburn football talk. When we come back, we got some NBA and NHL talk. A little throwback to last year. We combined both in one segment. But don't go anywhere. Both my teams are hot. One of the mine's actually. Exceeding expectations, but don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Eagles Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM. Welcome back into the Eagles Nest here on Weagle 91.1 FM. I'm Daniel Locke. Alongside me, as always, Griggs Blankenberg. And so far today, we've talked about Auburn soccer and volleyball. We've previewed the World Series and we had a kind of deep conversation about the future of Auburn football. If you missed that and want to hear it, it'll be on the podcast version of today's show, which will be up shortly after we get out of here. But for now, it is time for my, right now, in my present sports fan life, my pride and joy, my NBA and NHL, my Boston Bruins and Boston Celtics. Griggs, which do you want to do first? Let's just do the NBA first because I like hockey more right now, from my perspective at least. Okay. <laughs> so, hockey. Let's do I it. said NBA first. Oh, no. My fault. That's no. Dang, man. Golly. You're good. But, yeah, a little run-through real quick. The only undefeated team left in the Eastern Conference is the Milwaukee Bucks. They're at 3-0 still. Everyone else, the top from two down to the sixth seed, Atlanta Hawks. They, everyone else is 3-1. Only 0-5 team is the Orlando Magic in the East. In the West, no one is undefeated still. The 4-1 Portland Trailblazers and the 4-1 Utah Jazz are tied at the top. There are three teams at 3-1, Phoenix, New Orleans, and Memphis. And then the bottom are the excuse me, the Sacramento Kings at 0-3 and the 0-4 Los Angeles Lakers. So Ethan and I had a little, not debate, but discussion on, I can't remember, I think two nights ago. So I'm going to ask you, who do you think is the least popular team in the NBA? I said the Kings, he said the Magic. But he said least popular, what do you mean by, like, least amount of fans? Yes. It's got to be Magic or Kings. I don't even, looking at the list, and that was off the top of the dome. That wasn't like looking at the list or anything. But now the fact that I'm looking at the like list of teams, that just makes me feel even more strong about that take. I'd probably go with the Kings. And here's yeah, why. The Orlando, Orlando Magic had that stretch in the 2000, or late 2000s that with Dwight Howard and all that stuff, so they had that. The Kings, since they moved, since they, like, I don't even know how long the Kings have been there for it. A while. I feel like a while. I don't know why. They keep the team that – I always consider them like the team that moved from Seattle. Though, but, no, that was the right, OKC right. Thunder. I always forget that. But the fact is the Kings just have not had any sustained success like yeah. in a very, very long time. And, like, like, that's – And you're the third best basketball team. Or third – fourth most actually follow basketball team 
in all of Los is in California. You're behind yeah. the Clippers. You're behind the Lakers, number one. Clippers, Warriors, and then the Kings. Because it just makes me think: if you live in California, what's in it for you being a Kings fan? Unless you're like born directly in Sacramento, there's like no reason for you to pick the Kings. Right. I I would never in a million years be a Kings fan. And yeah, so I agree with you on that. So Kings, okay. Orlando Magic, I'd probably say he's probably close to there. I'd probably say mm, looking at this list right now, maybe second. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's gotta be. It's gotta be. It's gotta be there. those two. Yeah. Because like even the other teams are kind of like not great right now. Like obviously the Lakers are one of the record wise right now tied for worst team in the NBA. But the Lakers still have probably the one of the top three fan bases in terms of size, not quality. Take do that that what you will. Yeah, definitely but, top. Yeah, definitely top three like fan base like for NBA for sure. Them, the Knicks, the Celtics. That's probably the three I could think of. And then the Bulls, probably. Yeah. The Bulls, yeah, definitely. So, you did the West. I'm going to do the East. Did, did, you, did I, you read? I did every. I did all of them. Just one of those days, ain't it? It's all good. Yeah. Just, it's all good. I. But, okay. yeah, go, ahead, go do your Celtics talk right now. Sounds good. So, the Celtics are 3-1 and one on the year. They are currently half a game back outside of the one seed in the Eastern Conference, which is currently held by the Milwaukee Bucks. But, man, I just love watching the Celtics team. Their last time out was their first L of the year, unfortunately, losing to the Chicago Bulls 120-102. to But it happens. And they're back in action tomorrow night against the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have Isaac Okoro and Sharif Cooper, two Auburn guys. Mm-hmm. So I will for sure be tuning into this one, and I can't wait. Love the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, that one game they lost to has kind of like been there like a little anomaly, really. They got a camera. Uh, they lost to the Bulls. I mean, the the Bulls right there, that was a, such an interesting game since they are still without um, uh, Lonzo. Mm-hmm. And then I don't, I can't, Levine was hurt. I don't know if he's still hurt. But yeah, that's a little bit of, bit of an anomaly. But at the same time, it's. It's the you guys a long way to go. You guys are definitely going to be a playoff team. No need to worry. There's such a discrepancy between the top like three teams in the East and then everyone else. Where the Western Conference, you know this with me as well. Like that one through ten is just crazy throughout the almost the entire year. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. Um, let me speak for a second on the Hornets. Sure. Um, two and two. Um, not the best, not the worst. Um. We lost to the Pelicans at home. That was not really great. We beat the Spurs in the road, which we should have. We beat the Hawks without Lamelo, Terry, and uh, Cody Martin. So that was that was pretty impressive. Didn't expect that one to happen on Sunday. And then we go to the Mecca yet last night. And we lose in overtime. Where I think uh, they said that PJ Washington's foot was on the three three point line, but it wasn't. It was a three, which would have made it tied going into the last possession of overtime. So. Do with that what you will, but again, it's the classic Hornets thing where everyone thought we were going to be terrible this year in Miles Bridges, but no, the Hornets are still always going to be that. The, the playing tournament was made for the Charlotte Hornets. Let's be <laughs> honest here. That 10 spot has got Charlotte's name highlighted in yellow or blue and teal, or teal and purple, just with a Jordan or brand. mint green. With a Jordan brand logo right next to it when everyone else has a Nike. But mint green. I don't know what to expect. They're mint green. The mint jerseys? I love them. Yeah, they're coming back with them this year. That's the real abbreviation of Charlotte, not C H A, which is stupid. It's C L T, right? Yeah, it is. But 
I don't know why they gave it CHA. I knew that because the airport. Yeah, I don't know why. It's the only team that does that. So, I mean, I'm not super impressed with them, but it is what it is. And they'll probably get the 10 seed again, and then we're going to get like a top, like, will be like the eighth or ninth pick once again. So, Panthers and Hornets are very similar in that regard. Yeah. It happens. It always happens. <laughs> you want to switch it over to hockey now? Let's do it. Let's do Last it. Chance to rapper said. Let's do that hockey. Let's do it. Uh, top seed in the Eastern Conference. I'm just going to run through this real quick. We'll go in more depth in a second. Oh, yes. The Boston Bruins are in first place in the entire Eastern Conference and the Atlantic more specifically with 12 points, six wins, one loss. Followed them two points, uh, three points behind are the Florida Panthers. Uh, the Metropolitan Division right now is a tie for first with the Carolina Hurricanes having nine points as well as the Penguins. The Penguins have played an extra game, so the Hurricanes have a game in hand. The Western Conference, we traveled down there. The Dallas Stars currently are tied with the Colorado Avalanche. Nine points. Each team has four wins, two losses, one overtime loss. The Blackhawks are in third place in the Central Division with eight points, four wins, two losses, and only six games. So the Blackhawks win tonight against the Oilers. They could be in first place in that Western, uh, in the Central, which would be the wildest of things to happen. And then finishing off in the Pacific, the Vegas Golden Knights are 6-2-0 and on the season, 12 points. They have... In second place, though, the Calgary Flames, 5-1. They have two games in hand over the Golden Knights, and they have 10 points right now. So it's looking like a good season for the Flames, even though they did lose a lot of that star power. Yeah, they did. And then no one's in third place. That team doesn't exist. But yeah. fourth place, Seattle Kraken. Yeah, Kraken. That's about as average of a scoreline you could have through this early in the season besides yeah, like 3-2-2. Two, two, two. Two. <laughs> that's, that's the most average. But then, oh, the Canucks finally got some points. Okay, oh, good. It's still the only winless team in the NHL. Right now, my take on them being the surprise team out of the West this year is looking abysmal. Then people shouldn't go back and listen to our NFL preview then. No. We need to put together like a blooper reel of our freezing cold takes. But we can start with our could be, uh, NFC South predictions. That could be a, like a December YouTube thing, potentially. That should be. That, that will be. I like that. I like that. But, yes, go ahead and uh, we'll start with the Atlanta. Go ahead and do your Bruins talk. All right. So, the big, bad Boston Bruins, six wins, one loss, no overtime losses. We don't, we haven't even been to overtime, except for one time, because people can't hang with the Bruins. They're just that team. And other than that really ugly 7-5 to loss to the Senators, which is probably the worst Bruins game I've ever watched in my life from a defensive standpoint, just, oh man, this team is special. I was a little worried about them, but, because, you know, we have some injuries, but on that front, um, Brad Marchand, Griggs' favorite player in the NHL, has been in practice in a nice crimson red jersey, which indicates injured, as well as Charlie McAvoy. So seeing those guys already back skating and participating in limited practice is beyond encouraging. And then Taylor Hall has really stepped up on this line, and he's just playing great alongside Pasternak and Bergeron, and then having David Krejci back on defense along with, or not, excuse me, not defense, he's a forward, my fault. Mm-hmm. And then just Brandon Carlo has really impressed me on the defensive side, as well as Hampus Lindholm, as well as Jacob Zbroil. So, and then, dude, having two ace goalies and a lineup full of shooters like the Bruins have this year for the first time since 2011, oh my goodness. Line, this is, Linus Ulmark has been incredible so far. He has. And the thing is, like, last year there was a lot of debate between, like, like half the fan base wanted Jeremy Swayman, half the fan base wanted Linus Olmark. But honestly, at this point, Linus is just a little bit better. Um, and because, you know, as soon as we switched to Olmark in the uh, 
playoffs last year, we started winning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I love them both, but for right now, Olmark is the answer. Yeah. Um, Carolina's been pretty good so far in that. I don't know how sustained that's going to be. I I feel like they're going to struggle more in that offensive half as it gets further into the season. Yeah. Especially against if a Penguins team is like the Penguins team bowling, they're cooking, and the Flyers so far have been great. I mean, Carter Hart, it's the second coming of Carter Hart this year. It's yeah. With a um, .949 save percentage, fourth best in the league, and then with – four wins to on his name already. And so he's it's good to see him coming back into form of what he once was. Yeah, I agree on that. And it's just encouraging to see some teams that we don't normally see playing amazing, just playing pretty good. I'm a big fan of parity, which is why I really like the NHL. And then it seems like there's plenty going of- into the Western Conference and the Central, I mean I was talking to my friend Bo about this. He says we agree both pick the Avalanche to repeat. But the thing is, is the Avalanche, I think their goalkeeping has been their struggle. And yeah. he brought that up. He's like, I know you picked, predicted the Avalanche to win, but don't like look past their goalkeeping because that could be their struggle for them. And we're starting to see that more and more now with the teams they've been playing. And then Dallas has been pretty good. I mean, Dallas has always been hovering around that spot ever since they made to the uh, uh, Stanley Cup final in the 2020 COVID bubble. So they've always been that team that's been just on the cusp, kind of Yankees-esque, but just hasn't been able to finish it off. Yeah. But then the Blackhawks, that's a surprise. Mm-hmm. For a team that thought that we should be tanking, have now won four in a row against some some eh teams against and then some good like we beat the Red Wings, we beat the Sharks. We should beat the Sharks. The Red Wings are still Red Wings are still on the come up a little bit. They beat the Kraken and then they beat the Panthers, which is the team that surprised me the most. And now tonight if we can beat somehow beat Edmonton, that's gonna transition my mind from tank to okay how much do we have to, how many points do we have to get to get a wild card spot yeah um and then minnesota that's been a disappointment so far and that's the thing i noticed the most oh yeah they, they've been a huge disappointment and this is a team that got to host the winter classic last year and they've been struggling um so i don't really know exactly what to expect from minnesota like down the jump the self-proclaimed state of hockey doesn't have a single Stanley Cup to its name. So that's just something I'm always going to bring up whenever Minnesota comes up. Hmm. But, I don't know. I'm looking for them to kind of bounce back a little bit and climb a little higher up into the mix. But St. Louis, they look pretty sharp right now. Unfortunately. Yeah, I don't hate them as much as you, but... The video you sent me of you at the St. Louis, around um, was Enterprise Arena last year says otherwise. <laughs> well, I was a little bitter. I mean, I mean, if the uh, Guardians would have beat the Cubs in 2016, I probably would not like them too much at all. But I get where you come from with that Blues team. I mean, that was the first time they've won, like, really anything. But, yeah, and then let me run through the points leaders real quick. Uh, stats, um, it's just um, dry sidle again, as we thought. But that is going to do it for us right now. When we come back, we are going to have our Arkansas game preview with another special guest from the Auburn Beat. But don't go anywhere. This is the Eagle's Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM. And welcome back into the Eagle's Nest, everybody. It is time for the second hour of the show. In the first hour, we talked a little bit about Auburn football, Auburn volleyball and soccer, the World Series, and NBA NHL. But now we are joined for our second time, second person ever, Second in a row this week, we have someone from the Auburn Beat on the show. It is Justin Hokinson. You can find him on Twitter at underscore J Hokinson. He's with Auburn Live on 3 and on 3 Sports. So let's just get right into the questions. First off, uh, we asked every guest this week. Hey, how are you? Sorry, I, I, I missed the intro. Um, it was kind of, I guess I didn't hear that part. Um, 
What was the question again? Oh, that's okay. Um, how did I get my start in media? So, um, happened probably it was over a decade ago. Um, I started writing online, um, wrote for, I actually wrote for the original version of the Bleacher Report. Um, and then that kind of morphed into radio opportunities in Birmingham and hosted a, hosted a radio recruiting, uh, a recruiting show on Jocks uh, FM up in Birmingham for a couple years. And then that morphed into an opportunity to start um, working for Rivals.com and covering Auburn and kind of went from there. So sounds good. If you had to be on any other beat in sports, which would you choose and why? Um, that's a good question. Uh, hmm, I haven't really thought about that because uh, you know I enjoy. You know, I've sort of grown up in this area and in Birmingham, and so I enjoy being here. Um, I would probably go back. I love basketball, so I, I would probably you know go the basketball route. Um. Uh, you know, covering an NBA team would probably be a lot of fun, um, but I would probably go the the basketball route. I'm I'm a big basketball fan, and so I think I mean covering basketball games and the atmosphere and the environments you can get in in these basketball arenas and stuff would be are a lot of fun. Um, so probably go go the NBA route. Maybe find a team that's uh, that's always fun to cover, not boring. Yes, you looking at uh, this Arkansas team now getting in the game preview. What do you what do you what stands out to you? Well, I mean, first of all, they're all um, very good, very dynamic. Um, K.J. Jefferson back healthy. Um, they run the ball really well. And I think what people don't realize is K.J. Jefferson is one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the country. And he's thrown 14 touchdowns and just one interception. Um, they throw the ball downfield. And so they're a good, efficient, explosive offense. And they run up tempo. Um, they're tough to deal with. I mean, even some of the – I think the Alabama game, they scored close to 40. Really, the only game they, they didn't score much was when Jefferson was out against Mississippi State. So, um, they're going to be a team that's going to be tough to, to hold down. I mean, I think for Auburn, if you somehow found a way to hold them under 30, you did a really good job, um, a really good job. Um, and I think it's going to be – that's going to be a really, really tough task. So, that's what stands out about, about this Arkansas team specifically is their offense is really good. Now, their defense – um, has struggled. Their defense, about 32 points a game, I mean, uh, and like 450 yards of offense. So Auburn has an opportunity to move the ball and to find success offensively. It's just, can Auburn can Auburn find any consistency enough to do it to the point where they can score 30 points themselves? That's the question. You know, can, can, the, can Auburn force a turnover or is Auburn's offense going to have to go out there and be pretty prolific, which they haven't really shown the ability to do all year. So it's just, can you, can you keep pace with Arkansas um, in terms of what they can do offensively, that's going to be the question. So, Justin, do you think Auburn's run defense can bounce back after that Ole Miss game? Ooh, yeah, that's going to be a tough one. Um, I mean, Arkansas obviously Arkansas ran for 240 yards on Auburn last year. I mean, um, Auburn just you know had made some stops and won the game. It's tough. I mean, you don't have you're not really going to have any different personnel, so it really comes down to one tackling. They missed a lot of tackles against Ole Miss. And credit Ole Miss, and his running backs are really good. And the way they space things on offense, um, you know, it, it can make it tough. So Auburn didn't tackle well. So number one, that's they got to fix that. And then two, they just got to fit gaps differently up front. I mean, you just can't you can't allow so much room for these running backs or a quarterback to pull and run. 
um, and where you're just in these one-on-one situations in a lot of space. That makes it hard to, to make these tackles. So it comes down to fitting those gaps, just doing a better job um, of executing, and then and then tackling. They just have to tackle. It's one thing if you're going to give up yards, but if you can make the tackles on that first attempt, you at least you at least make teams work for it. Um, you start missing tackles, and, and the chunk plays come, and, and that's a frustrating thing. So it's going to be tough. I mean, Auburn's run defense kind of is what it is. Um, it's it's not you're not going to get an upgrade in personnel all of a sudden. So it's about fitting gaps and tackling really well and being focused. We are once again with Justin Hope instead of on three live uh, with the Auburn live on three. Uh, first, next question: uh, What is an Auburn player we need to keep an eye on for on Saturday? Well, I think I'm I'm really curious to see um, if if Brian Harson continues to rotate quarterbacks. Um, you know, Robbie responded really well at Ole Miss in terms of leading scoring drives, you know, Robbie, he still struggled throwing the football and a lot of success, the success Auburn had was running the ball, but he was the quarterback, uh, you know, on those scoring drives. So you got to give him some credit there. So, you know, does he, does he leave Robbie in, even if he struggles early in this game, if he has a couple of bad possessions, is he, does he finally just settle on leaving somebody in and letting that person overcome those obstacles and develop as a player or does he continue to just rotate out? Say, well, Ashford has a couple of bad, bad drives. Now let's throw T.J. Finley in there. Does that continue, or does he finally let one quarterback take the reins, good or bad, and, and develop and try to um, and try to get better um, for not just that game but that season? That that's a curious thing to watch. Obviously, you want to see if Tank can have the can have the success he had um, again, like he did at, at Ole Miss. He had a good game against Arkansas last year as well, so can tank can continue to build that. You're probably looking at the offensive line. You know, a guy like Jeremiah Wright, who played well against Ole Miss as a backup, does he get a little bit more playing time? Does he move into the starting rotation and help Auburn run block? Um, I think you're watching. I think you're watching that as well. Um, offensively, um, that's probably that's probably the main people I'm watching. Defensively, I mean, you've got. Kind of the main set of guys out there. There's, I think everybody will be pretty healthy that's available. Um, I think you want to see somebody like Colby Wooden against this rush rushing attack, whether it's Rocket Sanders or KJ Jefferson. Derek Hall, I would put him in there too. Those two guys, how they deal with the zone read and, and the different play action stuff, and then when they have an opportunity, getting KJ Jefferson to the ground is a big, strong quarterback. I think that'll be really interesting and big too. Is Wooden and Hall, their impact on, on stopping K.J. Jefferson when they have the opportunity to make stops. So that's kind of a, a, few, a few areas where I'm, uh, where, I'm, where I'm watching closely. So, Justin, how do you think Auburn can respond after just a crazy week in the program? That's a good question. I'm actually – I posted a, a story at AuburnLive.com, and, and one of the questions I posed was, what's the mental state of this football team? Um, and, and, and that's part of the equation. I mean, you're watching – your teammates um, having to announce that they're transferring, and uh, you know, just where is this team at mentally? Um, do they think they can make a bowl game? Do they even care if they make a bowl game if it's a six-win type bowl game? Is that even where they want to be? Um, and so I just, it's going to be really interesting, I think, to watch where this team's at. I think the their their love of football is going to have to carry them right now. What happens if they have another bad start? Do they have the juice to make another comeback? Um, I think there's a lot to be determined about where this team's at. I think we're going to learn a lot Saturday about uh, if this team is, is going to fight till the very end of the season and, and, and do everything it takes to get to six or seven wins, 
Um, or if things start to go poorly Saturday, is it the tipping point? Is it just is it just hit a point where they they can't keep their focus and energy anymore? I mean, it's it's a fair question, and I think Saturday is going to show us a lot. Speaking of Saturday, this will be our final question before we have to go to break again. Uh, what is your really prediction for the Saturday if you've made one so far? Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, given what we've seen from Auburn, it's hard to pick them to to win. You know, to win some of these games, it's hard to pick them to win this game. The, the consistency just hasn't been there. I, I I do think obviously coming off a of bye week is beneficial, especially on the offensive side of the ball to try to try to create some consistency. Now, Arkansas also comes off a bye week. Um, but considering where you are for, as a team for Auburn, that, that's probably a bigger benefit to them. Um, but it's, this is a tough matchup. I mean, it's a very physical team in Arkansas that's going to score points. The, the, the saving grace, I guess, for Auburn is the defense for Arkansas not being very good. So I think Arkansas, I think Arkansas is favored for a reason. I, I think it's probably uh, – you know, a 34-27 type game in Arkansas's favor. Auburn's going to have to force a turnover to get a fourth down stop, force a missed field goal. They're going to have to make Arkansas come up with some empty possessions somewhere the way they did last year and try to hold them in the 20s and you got a chance. Um, but it's going to be a question of can you keep up with their scoring? And I'm just not sure you can predict that Auburn will do that or think that they're going to show that consistency when they have it all season. So, it's going to be a tough matchup. I think they'll be in it. I mean, I think late third quarter, it's going to be a, probably anybody's game, even into the fourth quarter potentially. Um, I just think it's a game that Arkansas probably ends up winning by by seven or ten points, unless things go against the trends and things go against the way we've we've sort of seen them going as of late. Thank you. That was uh, Justin Hokinson of Auburn Live on three. You can find him on Twitter at underscore j Hokinson, and he is part of the On Three Sports Network. Um, Great interview again as we love having more Auburn beat people on to just talk Auburn sports with us. It's been a good thing for the show. I mean, we've just started doing it, and I'm glad we're doing it. It has. Nathan King last week, uh, Justin Hokinson this week, and maybe another next week. Who knows? Maybe another next week. So, Justin, thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. So, that will do it for our talk on the Auburn-Arkansas game. But when we come back, we have more college football talk. We're talking about this wild week that is week nine of college football. So, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Eagles Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM. And welcome back into the Eagles Nest, everybody. We want to again thank Justin Hokinson of At On Three Sports for joining us on the show, talking Auburn-Arkansas in the past segment. You find him on Twitter at underscore Jay Hokinson. But now we transition to the other world of college football into week nine. It's already week nine, Daniel. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun or, you know, whatever Auburn is. Time flies in college football. So it's already week nine. So let's just go right into it. Some Thursday night action tonight. We have the Virginia Tech Hokies traveling to Raleigh to take on the number 24-ranked NC State Wolfpack. That's going to be at 6.30 p.m. on ESPN. Line currently is NC State is a 13.5-point favorite. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to take NC State here. I'd love to pick the Hokies, but I just can't bring myself to do it. Virginia Tech's almost a school that I went to. It was either between Auburn and Virginia Tech, but Justin Fuente really sunk that program for a while, so it's going to take a while for them to come back up to the era where they were with uh, Beamer and Mike Vick and all those people. Yeah, so, you're not wrong. And I believe in Brett Pry, who's the coach there now. So I do too. They'll have a turnaround, I think, eventually. 
So some really good Sunbelt action tonight. The Louisiana uh, Raging Cajuns going over to Hattiesburg, Mississippi to take on the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. This one's at 6.30. I'm excited. We'll be at the Auburn Soccer Complex, though. I'll be here. You'll be, you'll be here. I'll be at the Auburn Soccer Complex. And if you feel so inclined to, you can listen to our coverage of Auburn Soccer. But that's an interesting matchup, too. I don't know how the Sun Belt's shaping right now. Because I, um, I know App State's lost a few games. And I know Coastal's already lost one. Let me look at that real quickly. The Sun Belt got to travel down to the S. Um, Coastal Carolina's in first in the East. And then Troy's first in the West. But this is a battle for like that third spot in the West tonight. So that'll be an interesting matchup. The fun belt. Yeah, fun belt. That's funny. Um, also tonight, we have the number 14-ranked Utah Utes traveling to uh, Pullman to take on the Washington State Cougars. Line is at minus 7 in favor of Utah. I feel like Washington State's that team that, like, every other year they'll be good. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when they're bad, they'll be really bad. And then when yeah. they're good, they'll be really good. They have, like, no, like, middle ground. True. I think that's one of these, like, it's it's kind of one of those middle ground years randomly enough this year for the Washington State after an abysmal season last year. Yeah. Tomorrow night we got to Barnburners and the East Carolina Pirates traveling out to Provo, Utah to take on the BYU Cougars and then the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs traveling down to Miami to take on the Florida International Panthers. BYU's schedule, I know they're independent, has been crazy this year. They've played Notre Dame in Las Vegas. They played host to the Arkansas Razorbacks. They played at Liberty, and then now they're playing East Carolina. It's just, it's really funny. They're scheduling. It's kind of, it's comedic, really. Yeah, it is funny. Um, let's kick it to Saturday now. The big one we're talking about, we won't get this one. We have it on who you got, but it is Ohio State traveling to Happy Valley to take on the number 13th ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. It's going to take a lot. It, it, oh, it, it will yes. take a lot for Penn State to pull this off. And I I don't think that they're the 13th best team in the country. I do not either. I think they're top 25, but I do not believe they're a top 13, top 15 yeah. team in the nation. The line currently is minus 15 and a half in favor of the Buckeyes, which yeah. I think is a good one. They've not they've not had to be tested yet this year. It's they've, not every day you see a top 15 team be a 15 point underdog at home. Yeah, I that's that is a rare anomaly. Um, another one that's interesting this Saturday is Notre Dame traveling to. Syracuse to take on the number 16th ranked Syracuse Orange coming off a heartbreaking loss to the Clemson Tigers last week in uh, Death Valley. So Daniel still is someone who's still like follows Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. What this is not this is uncharted territory for them being of yeah. underdog against a Syracuse team. It is, and that just really speaks volumes of the kind of year that Notre Dame's had. But if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're kind of just waiting for next year and the next couple years. Marcus Freeman's a good coach. No ifs, ands, or buts. And he's got a good like couple recruiting classes coming in. The 2022 class was just, no offense, kind of weak. So, And they lost a lot of guys to the draft. So this is a rebuilding year. Next year will be a rebuilding year. I don't think it will be as bad next year, though. And then 2024 is really when I think you're going to see the Irish really take off. But for now... I really hate when um, Notre Dame and Ar- excuse me Notre Dame and Auburn, not Arkansas, both play at 11 a.m. or both play at the same time period because I can't watch both. But I'm excited, and I think Notre Dame will have a good shot in this one. But Syracuse, along with I think Syracuse and Illinois, have been the two surprise teams in yeah. college football this year. And I if mean, you're Notre Dame, it's going to be all about your run defense. Yeah, Sean Tucker, really yeah. good. And the, but then 
Yeah, Syracuse. I mean, this is a coach kind of like the same thing as kind of NC State was last year. Um, Dino uh, Babers comes into this year like on a very hot seat, and now he's got the the orange in a bowl game, six and one, and tied for second in the Atlantic with Wake. So yeah, great comeback story from them. Um, other ranked matches. Let's talk about. Uh, we got to talk about the. Um, I think what is it? The nation's largest or the world's largest cocktail party? The world's largest outdoor cocktail party. World's largest outdoor cocktail party. That is the Florida Gators playing the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs in TIAA Bankfield in Jacksonville, Florida, 2.30 on CBS. I believe Georgia's probably going to be a double-digit favorite in that one if it loads. Yes, minus 22.5 in favor of the Bulldogs. Yeah, I'm taking Georgia to cover. I just don't think Florida's even going to be competitive. Florida was just – everyone was just so, like, high up on Florida after that first game. They were unranked. They beat Utah at home. They jumped to, what was it, like 11? Yeah. They jumped to 11, and then, like, the next couple weeks, they just been fallen since then. So, I get they have a first-year head coach, but at the same time, yeah, you don't, you ever, you don't, it's kind of the same thing with Auburn, Georgia thing. You never want to be that much of an underdog to one of your biggest rivals. I agree. And I know of another team that's going to be a big underdog to its biggest rival soon enough. Mm-hmm. Another game we got on who you got is the Oklahoma State Cowboys taking, going, to Kansas State to take on the Wildcats. That's going to be Manhattan, Kansas. Line currently set at minus one and a half in favor of the Wildcats. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What you thinking? It's our who you got one, but, I mean, Oklahoma State looks pretty, pretty good. I mean, this will if they win this one, it sets them up pretty, pretty smooth walk into the Big 12 championship. I love Oklahoma State so much. I really hope they can pull this out. Moving on, also, what do we? What else do we have? Other, the only other ranked um, match we have, we'll say for the end, um, Oregon, California. I think Oregon's going to win that one. Yeah, pretty I too. soundly. Uh, TCU, West Virginia. I mean, West Virginia did upset Baylor last week, but this TCU team's on a mission right now. If they win this one, again, they're also probably walking into the Big Twelve championship. Yeah. Uh, Wake versus Louisville, two thirty on Saturday. Lions at minus three and a half. In favor of the Demon Deacons. Um, I feel like Wake always struggles when they go to Louisville. Mm-hmm. I think they always have. I can't remember the last time they like won there. My if my dad or brother listening, they'll probably tell me in a second. But this this team is something that's really special. If they didn't lose to Clemson that early in the year. This could be a lot different story. I mean, they're gonna be a, they're a top ten team right now with already playing their hardest opponent on their schedule. So, but then Sam Hartman coming back has been huge. This is someone that me and you both really talk highly of as a quarterback. Like. I love Sam Hartman. He's definitely one of, I think, top probably five quarterbacks in the nation. I think just the consistency he has. He's already top three ACC touchdowns history. Yeah, I mean, this team is good. But then Malik Cunningham, you have to watch out for him. I mean, Louisville, those mobile quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, all them, all the players at Louisville. Just Louisville's always been a really quick team and fast when they're moving. And, like, especially the year when Lamar was there when he won the Heisman, they were always – they didn't beat Clemson that year, but they were always just – able to move the ball really well. And this is a Louisville team that's always been really successful in the run game, not as much in the past. So that's going to be interesting to see, but I'm going to take Wake in that one. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, keep moving on down. The number yeah, I see one I want to talk about. I'm going to do this one real quick first. The number 17, Illinois. The number 17, Illinois, fighting Illini, traveling to Lincoln, Nebraska, to take on the Cornhuskers. Line is my 7.5 for Illinois. And this Illinois defense is probably one of the best defenses in college football. Yeah, they're good. Very good team. I got the, the line on this one. Just the, 
that's been the surprise of the year for me, I think. And then Syracuse, number two. Yeah. All right, Daniel, which game were you talking about? At 1.30 p.m. Central Time on the Big Ten oh, Network. Oh, no, not the this Rutgers again. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights are traveling over to Minneapolis, Minnesota to take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers at Huntington Bank Stadium. And let me tell you, this oh. one is sure to be special. You can get into it for $22 if you're so inclined. Man, they should hire me as a spokesperson. Why are we always talking about Rutgers so much? Because they're good. They're not good. Yes, they are. What is their rank? What is their record right now, Daniel? Good. Four and four and three. That's good. That's and that's good for Rutgers. That's good. That's good for Rutgers. I know of another team that's not four and three. I know of another team. Yeah, that's not four and three as well. But I know one of those teams hasn't played Georgia yet. I can think of another team that's four and three. <laughs> not four and three. I mean, um, um, uh, let's do this one. Um, uh, in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, the Gamecocks are hosting the. Missouri uh, Tigers, 3 p.m. on the SEC Network. South Carolina, three-and-a-half-point favorite. I feel like that's a little little low of a line. I think South Carolina is a lot better than Missouri, not not just three-and-a-half points better. Yeah, I agree. Especially, It's weird seeing South Carolina back being ranked again because at the start of this year it was looking very bleak. Yeah. Now it's starting to kick back up in favor of them, and they, gotta, they still have to play Tennessee, but other than that, it's looking pretty smooth. Yeah. I think that's going to be a good game. I'm excited to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do the big game. The biggest game of the weekend is the number 19th ranked Kentucky Wildcats traveling. Second to- biggest game. Stop it. Right, no, <laughs> the number three ranked Tennessee Volunteers in Neyland Stadium line right now is minus 12 points in that one. 6 p.m. in favor of the Vols. 12 point favorite. That Tennessee defense is just too. Uh, Tennessee offense is just too good. Kentucky could score 50 points. They'll score 70. Yeah, I agree. So Kentucky needs to be on their A game if they want to at least cover in this one because that secondary of um, Tennessee's can be exposed, but you have to get to it early before Neyland gets to you. I would agree. Let's hit. Let's get a few more in here. Not any more ranked ones or ranked v ranked. Um, Michigan State at Michigan. This one always gets weird. I think no matter which what the teams are ranked at all. Yeah, like this will be maybe another uh, trouble with the snap situation. You, you never know what's going to happen. My friend Jackson would be in tears if that happened again. That'd be pretty funny. I would. I would. Yes, that'd be very funny. Um, Ole Miss A and M. This. This. I don't know. this uh, it's yeah. This is a very toss up for me. I assume it's going to be the same way for you as well. Yeah, I'm just not very. I don't know. It's hard to kind of pick this. Because A&M's not good, but at the same time, Ole Miss got exposed versus LSU. Yeah, I think Ole Miss is going to be either really ticked or really hungover. No in between. I'm going to go with the Aggies in this one. I just can't see Ole Miss winning, especially a Kyle Field night game. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. Even though I saw online on Twitter, that or either Twitter or TikTok, you can get into this game or on some website for $2, even though it says Dang. 70 right here. So. That could be wrong, I guess, on my I part. I wonder if just one person put a ticket up for two bucks and, like, they weren't actually going. What if that was the person who, like, made, like, the meme on Twitter and stuff? That'd be really smart to get interaction. Yeah. Um. Last, I mean, there's UCLA Stanford. I got UCLA in that one, even though there'll be 500 people in the Rose Bowl. True. Final one, Uh. Pittsburgh at North Carolina and Keenan Stadium, 7 p.m. on the ACC Network. Carolina is a three-point favorite in this one. I'm going with the heels. I'm going to go with the heels, too. Drake May has been incredible. It's just can that defense hold up long enough where they can score more points on offense? That's yeah. just been the story of Carolina's season. That's so what it's all about this year. For a 6-1 team, I think they're, they played like 
let's be honest, they played no one. The one good team, semi-good team they played in Notre Dame, Notre Dame destroyed them. So. Yeah. But, yeah, that is going to do it for our college football talk. When we come back, we still have two more segments of the show. The next one, we're talking everyone's favorite sport here on the Eagles Nest. It's the NFL. NFL is king. When we come back on the Eagles Nest here on Weagle 91.1 FM. Welcome into the Eagles Nest here on Weagle 91.1 FM. I am Daniel Locke. Alongside me is Griggs Blankenberg. And it's been a loaded show today. We've done all sorts of fun stuff. Well, we have. We've had our second Auburn beat writer guest in Justin Hoganson. We've talked Auburn, the state of Auburn sports. We've talked about college football, but now it's time for the NFL, Daniel. I say it every week. You want to say it for me? You know what I say every week. I said it before we went to NFL's break. NFL's king? NFL's king. All yeah. right. You ready for this? Let's do it. Do you want to go through the score from last week? Yeah, I'll start with uh, the midweek uh, here. Do you want to do it? Sure, I'll do it. All right. Here you go. I'll time you. We'll All see right. if you can beat last week's. All right. Here we go. All right. So my New Orleans Saints broke my heart once again last Thursday night, losing to the Arizona Cardinals 42-34. to Moving into the Sunday window, Joe Burrow absolutely made me the happiest man alive, beating the Atlanta Falcons 35-17. We're going to move down to the Lone Star State, where my man Dan Campbell and his Detroit Lions came up just short, losing to the Cowboys 24-6. Now we're keeping it in the South. We're going up to Tennessee, Nashville to be specific, where the Tennessee Titans beat Matt Ryan and the Indianapolis Colts 19-10. Now we're going to the nation's capital adjacent, Landover, Maryland, where the Washington football team was able to knock off Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers 23-21. Griggs, take it away. Somehow the Panthers defeated the Buccaneers 21-3. Tom Brady, 32 uh, 32 pass attempts, 32 completions, 290 yards. I don't really know what to expect of this team. I thought we were going to go full tank with the trading of McCaffrey, which we still have yet to talk about in this show, but that was incredible. Panthers win 21-3. Now we're going down to Jacksonville, Florida, where the New York Giants were able to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 23-17. Now we're heading back up north to Baltimore, Maryland, where the Ravens took down the Cleveland Browns 23-20. Now we're heading out to the Mile High State, where the Denver Broncos lost the New York Jets 16-9 in utter hilarity. Now we're heading down to Las Vegas, where the Las Vegas Raiders were able to knock off the Houston Texans 38-20. Now we're heading out to Cali, where the Los Angeles Chargers were not successful against the Seattle Seahawks, losing 37-23. We're keeping it right here in California as the San Francisco 49ers lost to the Kansas City Chiefs 44-23. And to close it out, we're er, two more. The, clo- the second to last game of this week, we're going down to Miami, Florida where the Pittsburgh Steelers lost 16-10 to Tua Tungabaloa's returning Miami Dolphins. In the last game of the week, one that made me and my roommate Ethan very, very sad, the Chicago Bears drummed the New England Patriots 33-14. That is time. Not bad. Not our fastest one. Two wow. minutes, ten seconds. Dang. Not bad, but going back into this now... um, Really disappointing week in the NFL, really, just all around. Just not really too many, like, good games, really, that regard. Um, trying to think of games that stood out to me. Um, the Commanders beating the Packers was pretty big. I think Taylor Heineke is Taylor him a key, maybe. <laughs> we talk about dudes a lot on the show. He might be that dude now in Washington. I mean, he's he literally led them to the postseason in 2020. So, maybe give him another chance, maybe? I think yeah. so. Um, Giants still 6-1. and one. That's still the surprise of the year, really. They stopped the Jaguars at the one yard line, which mm-hmm. they would have. The Jaguars were would be an extra point away from winning that game. So 
Brian Dable still making a very good case for himself to be coach of the year, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. That was, yeah. That was pretty good. Uh, Ravens outlast the Browns 23-20. to Um, this, That NFC North is just so weird. Where the Ravens it are going to win by probably three or four games, but everything's going to be close yeah. game-wise. Um, Jets 16, Broncos 9. This Brett, game was ugly. Brett Rippon looks exactly like Russell Wilson, but for $240 million less. Right. <laughs> is what I saw on Twitter. Uh, Brees Hall, 72 yards touchdown, out for the year now. Very disappointing. He was my pick to win NFC. Um, uh, my pick to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, so that really stings. Yeah, he was looking good. Dude, let's talk about Davis Mills. Like, where did that come from? 302 yards passing? And they still lost by 18. Like, I honestly think he's good, and the Texans are just abysmal. I I think the same thing as well. But then Josh Jacobs on the other side, twenty carries, one hundred forty three yards, and three touchdowns. That's that was, that was the Josh Jacobs return of old from 2020-2019. Oh yeah, he, had he, a good day. he did not do good last year at all. No, not at so. All. The Raven Raiders are probably the best two and four team in the league by far, by mm-hmm. a large margin. I think too. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And then the Texans that one tie might help them out and. Hopes they get a top pick, but then again, do they go for a quarterback? Because Davis Mills looks pretty competent as one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Seahawks, that's still surprising. I mean, I saw this thing. I want to get your opinion on this article talking about we praised Justin Herbert so much as a quarterback already, but he's not proven himself or done anything yet. Do you kind of agree with that? Or yeah, I kind of lean to agree with that too. He's just been so highly touted. He's just never been able to like his team perform around him. Really, kind of like. Not at as, as this severe as this scenario, but Mike Trout with the Angels, really, yeah. or that meme where it's like someone so on this team, it's just a really nice car and like a not great house. Have you seen that meme? Yeah, yeah, that's what it equates to that. Uh, but then Kenneth Walker the third of Wake Forest and Michigan State, 167 yards and two touchdowns. He may be legit, the legit running back one now that um, Rashad Petty's out for the year. I'm with you. I think you're right, and I'm looking forward to seeing if that like, kind of stays the same or changes. And then Steelers-Dolphins, not a great Sunday night game. No, not at all. Um, Kenny Pickett. More like Kenny pick him off. Mm, good one, Griggs. Um, <laughs> this Dolphins team's just really interesting. Now, they their two losses were the two games where Tua was not fully playing in them. Yeah. But then again, the Steelers are not good at all. Like, they're just not. Yeah, I'm with you on that, and it's just so, I don't know, they just look so bad sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then, out of nowhere, Bears 33, Patriots 14, is Bailey Zappi the dude, or is Mac Jones the guy? Uh, as a Patriots fan-esque, mm-hmm. I'm still with Mac Jones. Well, what do you think Ethan would say? I don't know, let's ask him, he's out here. Stop. Uh, Ethan might be out there. So let's just go. I'm going to talk through a little bit of a preview for this week in the NFL tonight at 7.15 on Prime Video. The Ravens will be traveling to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to take them on. Current line is a two-point favorite in favor of the Buccaneers. Daniels just stepped out for a second to try to find our friend Ethan. But, yeah, the Buccaneers um, not been really good. Todd Bowles has not lived up to the expectations that Bruce Arians left for him. Um, other games of that, we have a game in London, a Lunder. Uh, the Broncos are facing the Jaguars in the most highly anticipated two and five game of all time. 
which is very interesting. That'll be at Wembley Stadium in London, minus two and a half in favor of the Jaguars. Russell Wilson working on the plane before the game. Very, very odd. As Daniels now re-enter the studio, we have more people. We have a full studio now. Wow. And then um, before Daniel hops back on the mics, Bears, Cowboys, minus nine and a half. Dax coming back again. This will be a second game back, so I imagine that's going to be more competitive than that one. But, Dan, you want to introduce our guests? I will. So we have the student advisor here at Eagle Eye TV and Weagle, Billy Ferris. Billy, how are you today? Doing great. It's another day in the studio. What can go wrong? Exactly. And my beloved roommate, Ethan Miller. Ethan, how's it going? It's going. How are you, Dan? Doing good. So we have three people in this room who would consider themselves a Patriots fan. And there is an age-old debate, not age-old, like a week old, going on surrounding Patriots football right now. Bailey Zappi or Mac Jones? Which of you gentlemen wants to go first? Uh, I'm right, a Mac Ethan. Jones guy. Mac Jones all the way. Bailey Zappi came in, okay, filled in, did what he needed to do. But right now, it's it's even. If you look at their stats through the first, what is it, seven games of the year? Six games? What are we in? Uh, We're in week eight. Yeah. Week eight? Okay. So the stats are very even. It's Mac Jones' team. He did great last year. Let him ride it out until he gives you a reason not to. Right now, Zappi, he did play great. Second half of the Bears game, or the second half that he played of the Bears game, didn't do too hot. Um, so my opinion is Mac Jones hasn't lost the job yet, and that's what it seems to be like uh, through practice this week. Mac Jones is the starter, got 90% of first-team reps throughout the week. Uh, so it seems like it's Mac Jones, so I'm riding with Mac Jones. All right, Billy? I say neither. Uh, I think <laughs> Mac Jones probably is the guy you should go with for the rest of this year. Zappy was fine. He had good completion percentage, but I think his average depth of target was like four and a half yards or something like that, so not a field stretcher. Uh, although he did have a few good deep passes when he came in for Mac Jones right away. I don't think either is a franchise quarterback. When you look around the league, the teams that are really competitive to win the Super Bowl every year have quarterbacks who can stretch the field and take over the game. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, uh, there's you know Tom Brady is still there, Aaron Rodgers is still there despite their team so far this year. Neither Bailey Zappi nor Mac Jones are a quarterback who can take over a game, throw the ball downfield, and win a shootout, an offensive shootout. You have defense and running, which is how the Patriots have to win right now. It's how they had to win last year. This year, I think, is similar to last year where you have a, they're the good, bad team. They beat the bad teams, typically, minus the Bears, and they lose to the good teams. To have a franchise quarterback has to be able to beat the good teams. Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi are not that quarterback. They have to do something different next year to win. But do you think they're going to be low enough? They're still competitive enough to win some games. Do you think they're going to be competitive? Uh, be in the position to where they're going to be able to drop one of the uh, draft one of the top two, three, four quarterbacks in this next draft class? I think they'll have to trade up from where they are. I think that can be done, and I think it's worth it. If you look at what a true franchise quarterback is worth and how many draft picks the Patriots have missed on. There aren't many packages of picks I wouldn't give up if I think the quarterback you're getting in that trade is worth being a franchise quarterback. Look back to Tom Brady, or look currently, because that's probably not a fair comparison for anybody. Look at Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. What wouldn't you have given up to draft one of them in their draft, knowing what they are now? I'd have given up every draft pick in that draft to get them. So I do that. I also think the trade deadline is an opportunity to legally tank for the Patriots. Trade some of your veterans who aren't going to be there when your rebuild is over. It'll lower your record a little bit this year and improve your draft capital. 
or he can be like, I'm a Panthers fan, or he can be like us and trade away your best player and win a game against the Bucks. That was very strange. Yes. Chris, who knew Christian McCaffrey was the problem for the Panthers all along? I knew it all along. It was never Matt Rule. It was always trying to get Ben McAdoo out of there. Maybe Ben McAdoo, given him the reins, he could perform. But this weekend for the Jets, both of you, how important is this game versus the the Jets? Ethan, you can go first for the outcome of the season. If uh, Mac Jones struggles, he's going to start. What? Is, how much of a leash are you giving him? I think that regardless of who the Patriots start at quarterback, the season's over. So I don't think it matters, honestly, the game. Because to what Billy said a minute ago, thinking that Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi's Neither of them are the guy. I agree to a certain extent. Uh, in the present, it's Mac Jones if we're talking about those two. But I would agree in the future going forward, looking two, three years down the line, I don't think either of them will be on the roster. Um, so, honestly, I think it's just more of a rebuild. And this year is a wash right now, so you're starting to turn the page for next year. So it doesn't matter. I think in this game against the Jets this week, I don't think you're going to get a good read on quarterback play. Where the Jets are a little susceptible is running the ball. I think you're going to see heavy doses of Stevenson and Harris in this game. I don't think they're going to challenge the Jets through the air a ton unless they get down big early and have to. I don't know that the Jets have the offensive firepower to get ahead big, though, in the game. I I hate to say this as a Patriots fan, but I expect the Jets to win this game. Uh, I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to make the plays they need to make to score enough points to win that game. And the Jets' pass rush, I think, will be the difference. Yeah. That is going to do it for our NFL talk. When we come back, we got me and Daniel's weekend picks. It's who you got. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Eagle's Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM. And welcome back into the Eagle's Nest, everybody. I'm Grace Blankenberg. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Daniel Locke. We've had a really packed show. If you missed any of today's show, you can catch it on the podcast later on today after we have that uploaded. But now... It is time for everyone's favorite segment, our only recurring episode for every single episode, ex- I think. Except, I don't think we did one in the finale, but that doesn't matter. That didn't really count. No, it was over. Didn't really, yeah, it was over. So, we got who you got. Running it back to the standings real quickly, I went 5-5 five and five last week. Daniel went 6-4, and four, so the records are now stand at Daniel's at 50-40. and 40. I'm at 47-43. and 43. So, getting close to the end of the semester, things are going to get interesting, I think, maybe. But let's go ahead and kick it off right away. First up this Saturday, we have college football talk. So the number two ranked Ohio State Buckeyes travel to Penn State in Happy Valley, take on the number 13 ranked Nittany Lions. Daniel, who you got? Oh, Griggs, that's tough. Um, Actually, no, it's not. Ohio State. Yeah, I got the Buckeyes. Just They've not shown any reason why I shouldn't pick them yet this year. I was looking for a reason. They've just not struggled yet. They're that's why Georgia and Alabama were flip flopping throughout the whole this little past little while in the AP poll. Like honestly, if Ohio State wins this weekend, I would not be surprised that they get ranked number one in the nation. Yeah, and I think if they do, they deserve it. But yeah, I just don't really think it's going to be a really close. No. Next, we travel to Syracuse, where the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are taking on the number sixteenth ranked Syracuse Orange. Daniel, you got. You know, I thought about picking Syracuse, but I just I think Notre Dame's going to have a bounce-back game, even on the road, so I'm going to take the Irish. I'm going to be picking the Syracuse Orange. They've been probably one of the surprises this year in college football. Sean Tucker is probably the most underrated running back in college football this year. And Garrett Schrader played, uh, played high school for my rival team, even though we didn't have a football team. And he has played in the SEC before, so he knows how to play in these big games. So I have the Orange in this one. 
Moving on down now to Manhattan. Well, not Manhattan, New York, actually. Manhattan, Kansas, where the number nine ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys come into town to take on the number 22 ranked Kansas State Wildcats. Daniel, who you got? I'm going to go with the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I like Spencer Sanders. I like Mike Gundy, and they're going to roll in the Manhattan and win. So, yeah, Oklahoma State. I really wanted to try to find a reason to pick Kansas State just to be different, but Oklahoma State's not proven me yet that they're any like sign of them like dwindling any. So I'm going to go Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders is that guy. Mike Gundy, good coach. Just a matter of just if they get to that Big 12 game, how can they win that one, really? So I have the uh, Cowboys in that one. Moving on to Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. The number 19th ranked Kentucky Wildcats are playing the number three ranked Tennessee Volunteers. Daniel, who you got? I'm gonna go with Tennessee. I just I don't Kentucky hasn't really been that impressive, and Tennessee's just red hot right now. It's in Knoxville, so yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Vols as well. Just Hendon Hooker's been incredible this year. Just can that defense shape up on the secondary, and that will make them a top like that will make them jump in the college football rankings. Come out next week, I think if their defense can shape it up a little bit. They're a surefire shot to be number two in the nation. I agree. Um, moving on now down to the NFL. We just talked about this with Billy and Ethan, but it's Patriots at Jets, so that will be down in the Meadowlands, East Rutherford, New Jersey. Daniel, you got? I'm going to go with the Pats, man. I just think that they're teams that just you have their number, and this is one of those times, so I'm going to go with the Pats. I'm going to go with the Jets, I think. They've been that good team this year. Like they just said, Pats, they're going to need to have a very good presence on the run game I feel like the defensive line of the Jets is going to be good enough to combat that I mean no one's want to, going to want to throw at Sauce Gardner right now current defensive rookie of the year in my eyes so yeah I got the Jets in this one I think it was like they said it's going to be a long road for the rest of this year for Patriots fans but they've had Super Bowls plenty. like me and you we've had we we have our sufferings every single season it feels like yeah Moving on now to a game I didn't think we probably would pick at the start of the year, but now we are. It's the Giants at the Seahawks. I think they are both – the Seahawks are 4-3, and three, the Giants are 6-1. and one. This one's going to be interesting. Mr. Locke, whomst do you got? I'm going to go with the Seahawks solely because it's in Seattle. I'm going to go with Brian Dable and the Giants. Coach of the year so far in my eyes. Daniel Jones is proving he's been pretty good so far. And then Saquon, return to Saquon. It's great to see him healthy. It's always great when the best players in the league, your faces really you want to make, are healthy and they're playing. So I have the Giants in that one. Yeah. Final game of the NFL night game. It's the Sunday night football game. It's the Packers traveling to Buffalo to take on Josh Allen and the Bills, both me and Daniel's Super Bowl predictions this season. But, Daniel, let's just go ahead and get right into this one. Who you got? Bills. Packers are bad. I got the Bills. Packers look not not good. I think this is like I think the one of the few times Aaron Rodgers has been a double digit underdog. Yeah, it is. I think I remember reading that somewhere, but yeah. But now we travel to the World Series. We're gonna pick the first two games of the World Series. Both these will be Phillies at the Astros. So that is game one is tomorrow night on Fox. But let's just go ahead and get it started. Daniel, you got? I'm gonna go with the Astros in game one and the Phillies in game two. I don't know why, but that's just what I'm feeling. I'm going the complete opposite of you. I'm going. Uh, Phillies in Game 1, Astros in Game 2. Phillies have announced Aaron Knoll as a starter for Game 1. I think he needs a good bounce-back game. I think this is a good spot to get it in. Some parts of that Astros line's bats have gone cold. I think Aaron Knoll will be able to attack that and get what he needs out of that. 
But then I think the Astros bounce back in game two, knowing they can't go down 2-0 and go to Philly and have a chance for the Philly crowd. Because we both have said it's going to be crazy to have the Philly crowd be able to influence that at all. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Philly's game one, Astros game two. Let's just go ahead and do this one real quick, Daniel. Let us get your World Series prediction. So your winner and in how many games? I'm feeling Strohs in five. That's just what it feels like. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Phillies in six. I think this team is a team of destiny type of thing. We talked about it early in the show. Astros, number one seed in the entire playoffs. Phillies, third wild card in the NL. Having to go through a tough route. They played. They had to play the Cardinals. They swept them. They had to go to the – they beat the Braves, and then they beat the uh, San Diego Padres, who had one of the better bullpens this offseason. So I think the Phillies can stay hot, man. I'm going the Phillies in, Phils in six. So they'll win in Houston. But now our final prediction of the day, it is the football game we've talked about the most on this show. It is the Arkansas Razorbacks traveling to Jordan-Hare on Saturday to take on the Auburn Tigers. That's going to be at 11 a.m. on the SEC Network. Daniel, who you got? Ouch, Arkansas. I have Arkansas as well. There's, there's been no reason for me. There's nothing I could point to be like Auburn succeeds in that area of the ball besides maybe punting. Shout out Oscar Chapman. He's been really good this year. But – yeah, that run defense, if they couldn't stop Ole Miss, now they're traveling to face one of the top ten rush offense in the nation. As we said already in the show, it's not looking good, bro. Not looking good. But that is going to do it for this show. We want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you again to Justin Hokinson, Ethan Miller, and Billy Ferris for coming on the show to talk sports with us. We'll be back again next week, same time, same place. So for Daniel Locke, I'm Greg Blankwork. Have a great weekend, everybody, and War Eagle. Thank you for tuning in to the Eagle's Nest. We enjoyed bringing you updates on everything going on in the world of sports. If you missed any of today's show, you can catch the podcast version wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Daniel J. Locke and at the Grigsby. Until next time, this has been the Eagle's Nest. See you next week.